to invite you to turn uh, to those words we read earlier on in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And if you, if you have it open just now, I would say that our focus really will be from verse 7 to the end of verse 12. From verse 7 to the end of verse 12. 1 John chapter 4. Now, some might argue money. And some might argue sex. But is there really a more important subject to a person in the 21st century than the subject of love? Love is coveted, isn't it? It is cherished. Love is, is treasured. Love is pursued. And uh, love sells, doesn't it? Love sells books, it sells art, and uh, love definitely sells music. And, and one social commentator writing about this, she said, regardless of our culture, regardless of our education or our economic status, at the depths of us all are the same desires. To love, to be loved, and to understand love. So, given that, given the prominence of uh, love in our society, surely what we're going to do just now is important, isn't it? What we're going to be looking at here it is significant, because this passage we've read in First John, it deals with what God has to say about love. And even more importantly than that, it deals with what God has to say about his own love, his own love. But don't get, don't get me wrong, this portion of scripture in 1 John, it's not a dry lecture. It is not just John speaking about God's love just for the sake of it. Because there's a purpose behind what he says. You see, all the way through, John's trying to put forward a purpose. He is trying to spur Christians onto love. He's trying to encourage us to love one another. And we see that because in this, in those short verses from 7 to 12, there's a phrase that's repeated three times. Just in those verses, a phrase repeated three times. It's in verse 7, it's in verse 11, and it's in verse 12. And it's that phrase, love one another. Love one another. So this morning, uh, the plan is to look at a few points about God's love. And on top of that, and at each point, we will try and see how these things about God's love should prompt us to love and to love one another. So we're going to look at three points, and I'll give you them all just now. These three points. These are the headings. They are the first one. The character of God's love. 
The second one, the cost of God's love. And then the third, the confirmation of God's love. Say that again. The character of God's love, the cost of God's love, and then the confirmation of God's love. So, folks, in recent years, there has been two very large and very significant controversies in the Christian world, certainly in the evangelical world. Now, years ago, and I'm sure you've heard of the Chapman question, years ago, there was a controversy surrounding Steve Chalk and his denial of what was called people substitutionary atonement. He denied that Christ suffered on the cross for our sins. And that was Steve Chalk. And then last year, there was, there was another uh, controversy, and it surrounded a chap called Rob Bell. Rob Bell. And he was a prominent, a big name in sort of evangelical circles in the States. And although he might deny it, in his book, Rob, Rob Bell really seemed to agree with universalism. He, he thought that everyone ultimately would be saved. And he certainly seemed to dispute the idea of eternal punishment for the unrepentant sinner. So that's Steve Chalk, Rob Bell. But crucially, if we examine both of those things, if we examine both of these controversies, we see that they, they come from the same fundamental misunderstanding. You see, both of those things get the same point totally out of kilter, out of sync. So what, what's the common denominator? What, what do they both get wrong? Well, they both get the character of God's love wrong. They both get God's love wrong. So let's look at a first point from this text and let's see what John tells us about the character, the character of God's love. And the first thing is this, is that love is an essential but not the primary attribute of God. I'll say that again. Let's all get this. That love is an essential, but not the primary attribute of God. Well, what, what, what does that mean? Well, both Steve Chalk okay, and, and, and Rob Bell, they take a phrase in verse 8 here. Okay, verse 8, this phrase, God is love. And they twist it slightly or misinterpret it. They, they distort it. They say that above all else that God is love. That above his holiness. That above his mercy. Above his gentleness. Above his grace that God is love. They, they, they see it almost as a definition of everything about God. And Steve Chalk actually says this. He says the Bible never defines God as anything else other than love. Is that right? It's not, is it? Because 
that doesn't take into account that Scripture says other things about God, doesn't it? It says that God is light. It says that God is spirit. It says also that, that God is a consuming fire. So you see, if we examine Scripture as a whole, and we don't just take out isolated texts, we see that love is not the foremost attribute of God. God is love. It's not a definition of his character. So we've got that. And that's what God is love doesn't mean. But what does it mean? What does God is love? What does it mean? Well, folks, we possess love, don't we? We possess it. We can have love. We can fall into love. We can also fall out of love. We can possess love. But that's not the same with God because it says that God is love. You see, love is part of the very being of God. It is part of who he is within himself. It is his core. We learn and move into the very secret heart of God when we learn about him that he is love. And because, friends, because of the other things that that we learn in Scripture about God, we can we can determine certain other realities about his love. Because the Bible tells us that God is unchanging, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that God is unchanging. Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should change his mind. And Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today... And forever. So God is unchanging. Unchanging. And since love is an essential attribute of God, that means that God's love for his people, it is an unchanging love. What else do we know? What else do we know about God? Well, we know that God is also eternal. Revelation 22 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God is eternal. And since love is an essential attribute of God, that means, what did we just sing in Psalm 100? God's love endures forever. God's love is eternal. His love is unchanging for his people, and his love is eternal for his people. Now, we um, often look for love in the wrong places, don't we? We can look through lust for love. We can look in other philosophies, we can look in other religions and other belief systems. There's a whole list of wrong places that we look for love. But what do we learn here? There's a second thing that we learn about God's character. And it's so crucial. It says that God is the source of love. 
Look at verse 7, just the, the beginning of the section. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love comes from God. Now, society around it might consider love to be, yeah, powerful, but rather a kind of whimsical force with a mind of its own. But we learn there that is not the case because the origin of love, the, the fountain of love, the, the, the source of all love is found in the very heart, the very character of God. Okay, so I said at the beginning that what we would do is a, a point about God and a point about his love, and then we would try and apply that uh, to ourselves at each point uh, this morning. So what, what, how does this, this character of God, how does it actually affect us today here? How does God's character, how, is, how does his love impact our lives? Well, surely we see we have a duty as Christians to love each other. If the, the God that we serve and worship, if at his very core is love, then we have a duty, surely. We have a, a responsibility to love our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, to demonstrate love. And then more than that, We've just seen that God is the source of love, that all love comes from God. So surely we have to be crying out to God and say, please, God, impart more and more of that love to us. We must, if he is the source, if all love comes from God, we must pray to him and ask that we have hearts of love, not just love for the lost, And not just love for God, but also we must cry out that he gives us a love for the other people in the pews here. That he gives us a love for each other. Now, I don't know if you like films, you like movies. I don't know if anyone here has seen Gran Torino. Gran Torino was was released a couple of years ago. Um, And if you haven't seen it, I wouldn't bother because I'm just about to ruin the ending for you. Um, It's a a Clint Eastwood film and it deals with a lot of different themes. Um, The theme of uh, racism or racial issues is very prominent. But anyway, at the end of the film, because uh, Clint Eastwood's character, he... He loves the other main character, this, this young girl. He loves her in this sort of protective, a fatherly way. Because he loves her so much, he acts to free her from this great trouble that she's in. But the thing is, he does that, such as his love for her, that he acts to free her and he has to die. He has to uh, stand in her place. And he has to uh, take that, 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 make that sacrifice as such is his love for her. And that takes us into a second point this morning. We've seen the character of God's love. Now, the cost of God's love. We've got that second point. The cost of God's love. 
So God loves us, and it cost him dearly. It cost him dearly. And we learn in in these verses we read of the greatest expression of that costly love. Because have a look at verse 9 if you read. Verse 9. It says, This is how God showed his love among, among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. So let's consider a few things, very short things, about how God's love was costly. How did his love cost him? First thing, he sent his son to die. He sent his son to die. Because when John's writing this, he's not got just the incarnation in view here. This is not just about the fact that God sent his son. Because it says in verse 10 that God sent his son as a sacrifice. As a sacrifice. So surely it cost God in that he sent his son and the purpose of sending him was to die. And what love that demonstrates, what enormous cost to himself. So one, he sent his son to die. Second thing about the cost of God's love, verse 9. It doesn't say that he sent his son to die. Verse 9, it says he sent his one and only son to die. His one and only son. Now the Greek word is the word monogenes. And that's used in a few other places in scripture. It's used in that account of the widow of Nain. Remember? And her son who had died. It's used also in Abraham and Isaac, you know, the, the sacrifice in Mount Moriah. The word monogenes is, the, is used there. And, and in both of those instances, you can see why it's used. It's used to really highlight and emphasize the fact that that was the person's one and only son. It was their precious offspring, their solitary, their only son. And so we see in here, in this use in First John of the word monogenes, that by offering his one and only son, there really could be no more costly a sacrifice. There could be no greater price, could there? No greater price than it being God's one and only son. What a cost that is. Okay, so he sent his son to die and it wasn't just his son, it was his one and only son. But the third thing about the cost of God's love is the kind of death that Jesus died. Okay, because verse 10 says that it was an atoning sacrifice. An atoning sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, again, the the word in Greek is very important because it's the word hilasmos. You got it? Hilasmos. And that's only used twice in the New Testament. And both times it means a sacrifice used to appease the wrath of God towards sin. 
the wrath of God towards sin. You see, friends, Jesus didn't just die. He didn't just expire. Neither did he just die the death of someone who was murdered on a cross. You see, there's more to it than that. When Jesus died, he carried this wretched guilt upon him. In his death, there was this horrific burden. It was no, no ordinary death. This was an atoning sacrifice. So surely, from these, these three things, surely we get it. That God's love is not some sort of whimsical, carefree uh, emotion. It's not that. It cost him to love us. It cost him so much to love us. It cost him his son. His one and only son. So how do we apply that? How do we apply the cost of God's love? What's the relevance to LCPC? Well, verse 10 says that um, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. So God loved us at our point of rebellion, didn't he? God loved us at the point that we hated And frankly, the application of that is that we, as Christians, are going to have to love our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ even when it seems like they hate us. Even when it seems like they are just ridiculing us and they stand opposed to us at at every point. Even when they're cruel and unkind and, and when they're selfish to us. When the love that we show them, when it's not reciprocated, when it's just spat back in our faces. We've got to love our, our brothers and sisters even when they talk nastily behind our backs. Now does that sound... Uh, too severe. Does that sound too costly? Well, it is no cost when we consider that God so loved us that he gave his one and only son. Now, um, I don't know if it's the same down here, but uh, back in Edinburgh, there seems to be an incredible abundance of golf sales Sales of uh, of golf equipment, and and these take place in the weirdest places. All right, they take place in in almost invisible places because in Edinburgh um, there's lots of little lanes that 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 that, that come off the, the main shopping street, and that's where these sales take place. Right at the bottom of these lanes and shops that are that are almost invisible and hidden away. And so to, to publicise these sales, um, what the companies do is they employ poor, uh, poor people to, to stand out on the main shopping thoroughfares, um, stand there all day in the freezing cold in Edinburgh and in Edinburgh winter, holding 
a, a, a big plaque holding a huge big arrow that says golf sale this way. And that leads us, believe it or not, into a, a third and final thing this morning. And that is the confirmation of God's love. You got that? The confirmation of God's love. Because God's invisible, isn't he? And that's something that John talks about a lot. That's, he talks about that in the letter time and time again. God is invisible. So, how is it possible for the world outside to know that God loves them? If God is invisible, how can we expect the world outside to recognize his love? Well, we're told, verse 12, it tells us, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. So part of the way that God makes his, his love shown to the world, part of the way that he does that is through the way that you love your fellow believer, through the way that we show a mutual Christian love. And we need here to go back to that phrase at the beginning of the sermon. Do you remember that? That phrase that John uses three times in these verses. What was it? That phrase that sets the agenda here. Can you remember it? Love one another. Love one another. You see, the, the primary focus here is on Christian love. It is on the love of believers. The primary focus isn't on our love for the world. The primary focus isn't on our love for the lost. The primary focus is on a Christian mutual love. Love for brothers and sisters in Christ. So the application, the relevance of that is obvious. We, in this congregation... At LCPC, we must love each other. A genuine, heartfelt love. We must love not just our friends. We must love people that we don't even particularly get on with. We must increase the things that we do well. We must work at our hospitality. We must invite people around our houses all the time. People that we don't really know. We must speak to everyone. We've got to speak to people that, that we find really, really difficult. We've got to reach out, love those people. We've got to speak to the elderly. We've got to speak to the lonely. And friends, we have got to pray for each other. Pray for the people in our congregation. Pray for the folks that you don't regularly pray for. Love one another. Essentially, okay, get this, please. Take this away, please. On the back of what we learn about God's love, we have to widen our affections. We have to widen our affections to cover everyone here. We have to love, we have to love one another. Why do we have to do that? Because 
It's the confirmation of God's love. Why? Because it points people to God. Our love points people to God. Okay, so we're going to close. We're going to close just now. Um, But before we do that, just let me ask you, honestly, have you experienced God's love in your life? Have you experienced God's love in your life? Have you come here today, perhaps on that long, hard search for love? Have you come distraught? Have you come upset? Have you come bewildered? But now are hearing of a God of such love, a God of extravagant love. Well, if you have, and you are seeing for the first time that, that God is love, then I would urge you to trust in him. Trust in him. Why? For he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know the words, don't you? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's that last bit? Everlasting life? Oh yeah. If you are a Christian, if you're a believer, if you have seen and experienced this love, then look at verse 9 and see the the eternal effects of that love. Because what does verse 9 say? What great words. Verse 9 it says, He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live. That we might live. Such is God's love that he has called his people to him. Such is God's love that he has poured out every spiritual blessing. And such is God's love that he has provided life, eternal life, through Jesus Christ, his son. What love. Love that's beyond common sense, isn't it? This is love that's beyond reason. This is love that is beyond even our wildest imagination. So friends, at LCPC, let's not continue just as we've been doing. Let's widen, widen our affections. Let's love one another. Why? Because God is not just holy. God is not just sovereign. God is love. Let's pray.